Well, let's read Psalms 32 tonight. I read verse 1, you verse 2, and let's read this Psalms together. Ready? Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. And by the way, before I read verse 7, uh, verse 6 seems to, seems to indicate there's going to, be, there's going to come a time when God won't be found. If we need to pray unto him while he can be found, boy, is it not scary that there may be a time when we may pray and he won't be found. Look at verse 7. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with, the song, with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Thank God for mercy. Boy, can I read verse 10 again? I want to hear that one again. Many sorrows shall uh, be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, bless the reading and now the receiving of your word. And then I want to pray for this family who, uh, who has called today and just ask us to remember them in prayer. God, I pray for this situation and the hurt and the heartache that's involved in all of that. I bring it before you and just want to ask you, Lord, that right might be done. God, that you would maneuver hearts, touch hearts, as the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and as the rivers of water, you turn it whithersoever you will, so says the Bible. I pray in this situation that you'll turn hearts. God, that the end result of everything that happens will glorify your son Jesus and that right and truth will prevail. Bless this need in this family's life. I pray for help and mercy for them. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. If you've been with us recently in our Wednesday evening services, then you will uh, recall that we're making our way through the Old Testament book of Psalms. In fact, I've entitled this whole series of sermons very poignantly preaching through the Psalms. And tonight we find our way all the way up to uh, Psalms chapter number 32. Once again tonight, if you'll look there right underneath Psalms 32, we have under the, uh, the Psalms there uh, the superscription where it says, A Psalm of David. So right up front, as we have been so oftentimes in these opening Psalms, we're told that David is the writer of Psalms 32. But we run into a word that we haven't ran into before in the superscription, and that is the word maskal. 
the word masculine. That word appears 13 times in our Bible, uh, and every time that it appears, it is in the book of Psalms. And the word masculine simply means to instruct, or it means for instruction. So right up front, we understand David wrote this psalm, and the reason that he wrote this psalm was for the purpose of our instruction. He is writing to instruct us regarding some things. You know, I told you last week that I've been trying to approach all of these psalms from the background or the situation from which the psalms were written. I think it goes a long way in helping us understand what is being said when we kind of have a little background, a little insight into what's going on in the life of the writer. However, the problem with all that is, is that with many of the psalms uh, of David, we don't know for sure what the situation was or, the, or the, the setting that caused the writing of that particular psalm. We can only guess what's going on in the background. But having said that, as we approach Psalms 32, I can say this, that's not the case. Because everybody agrees that Psalms 32 was written with the background or the setting of the great sin of David's life. Now, we all know that David was the greatest earthly king outside of the Lord Jesus that Israel ever had. David exercised greatness in a number of areas of his life. For instance, we could say that David was a great son. His daddy's name was uh, Jesse, and David was one of the uh, uh, seven sons of Jesse. He was a great son. He was also a great shepherd. Uh, we know that David wrote psalms, many of them, from the standpoint of a shepherd. In fact, when they came to anoint him to be king of the nation of Israel, that day he was out watching sheep. So he was a great son, he was a great shepherd, and he was also a great soldier. Uh, he was the one who battled with Goliath and became victorious, and he won many battles, and he was a great, great soldier. We also know that he was a great sovereign. He was a great king of the nation of Israel. God would use David as the measuring stick to the, of the, to the success or failure of every other king that would sit on the throne after him. He was also a great singer, and he was a great saint. But we also know that David was a great sinner as well. All of us in here are most familiar with the dark deeds of David's life. As you think back to last week and the weeks leading up to Psalms 32, the one thing that we've come to understand about David was he was a man who stayed in trouble. He was a man who had a lot of trouble in his life. And, uh, and most of those troubles in David's life, I guess I could say honestly, truthfully, they were self-inflicted. David brought the majority of trouble on in his own life. Uh, and, and proof positive of that is, is Psalms chapter 32. David in Psalms 32 has suffered a colossal failure in his life. David has not only taken another man's wife in his attempt to cover up his sin, he has taken another man's life. There he is in this terrible sin in his life, and he's tried to cover it up. You know, somebody has once said this to err is human, and to cover it up is as well. I remind us all who lived through those turbulent years, and I was just a child. I was probably, I don't even know if I was, maybe 10 years old when Watergate happened. Richard Nixon, I've still got a newspaper that my mama kept, Winston-Salem Journal, all these years, and I've still got it in one of the drawers of my house where it says the headline, Nixon resigns over Watergate scandal. 
I want to remind us all that it wasn't Watergate that got Nixon into trouble. It was the cover-up of Watergate that got him into trouble. And the one thing that got David into trouble was his sin. That was terrible, but it was the cover-up of his sin that really brought down the heavy hand of a holy God. I venture to say that nobody in this room this evening has done something as dastardly as David has done, at least I hope not. We all know from the Scripture that God, after the sin of David, confronted David about what he had done. God sent one of his prophets over there by the name of Nathan. Nathan went over to the castle and knocked on the door and walked into the throne room where David sat and he confronted him about the sin that David had committed and then David repented. But here's what many of us fail to understand about that whole scenario and that's this. It took David almost a year after his sin to get it right with God. You know, most of the time we, we, we kind of have the idea that David sinned. The next day, David was knocking on the door of the castle, walking into the throne room, telling him the story about the man with the little ewe lamb, confronting him about his sin, sticking his finger in the face of the king and saying, Thou art the man. But you know, in reality, it took about a year for all that to happen. David sinned, and then for the whole entire next year of his life, David stayed silent about it. David didn't say anything to God about his sin, didn't confess his sin for over a year of his life. I mean, a year passed before David really got that thing right with God. In a future psalm, we're going to learn what David prayed when he got right with God. But in Psalms 32, we kind of come to understand how David felt during that year of silence. How, how his life was during that time of his sin up until the time that he prayed and got it right with God when Nathan confronted him about it, we kind of get an idea of how he felt during that year of silence. You know, in our day, we have uh, something called, is it the Miranda rights that they have to read you when they arrest you? And I guess they still do that. I'm a big fan of Adam 12. I usually try to watch Adam 12 occasionally, and I, I don't know why, but I like one Adam 12. Any of y'all remember that show? Still comes on MeTV. That's my favorite channel, MeTV. Uh, and it still comes on, but any time that they get ready to arrest somebody, they have to read them their Miranda rights. You know, it goes something like this. You have the right to remain silent. Uh, anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law if you give up that right to remain silent. Uh, it, it, you, can, you have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, uh, the court will have one appointed for you. You don't understand these rights as I've read them under you. Y'all remember that on them old cop shows. And I guess they still, Nick, is Nick Wall here? I, is there a police officer? Where is our police officers at in here? Anybody? Where they, do, do we still read those rights before, Brad, before we arrest somebody? You have to read them the right. You have the right to remain silent. But can I tell you something? When it comes to our sin, as a child of God, nobody has the right to remain silent. It is to your own detriment, to your own demise, if you remain silent when it comes to your sin. Let me tell you what Psalms 51, 32 is. Really, as I said a moment ago, it's masculine. 
is for instruction. Really what David is doing in Psalms 32 is fulfilling a promise that he made God in Psalms 51. Will you turn over to Psalms 51 just right quick? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come in for a landing already. But look at Psalms 51. And here is a promise. This is the prayer David prayed when he got right with God after uh, this, the, 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 uh, the uh, can I say it like this, after Bathsheba Gate. After Bathsheba Gate, David prayed this prayer. But during that prayer, if you'll notice there in verse number, uh, verse 12, he says, God, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. And then he makes God a promise in verse 13. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. In other words, he said, Lord, I'm going to let other people know what this is really like. Hence, we have a Psalms 32 in our Bible. Now, we again, I've told you this before, these Psalms were not written in chronological order. So David is fulfilling in Psalms 32 a promise that he made in Psalms 51 as he prayed. So what I want to do tonight is I want to move through this psalm, looking at it through those eyes. Here's David. And David said, okay, I want, to, I want to give you some instruction. I want to give you some counsel about what sin will do in your life if you don't confess it. All right? So let's get started. Inwardly, Psalms 32, inwardly we find in this psalm when we sin there should be conviction. Can I have an amen? When you and I sin as a child of God, Inwardly, there ought to be conviction. Really what David has done in Psalms 32 is he's hit rock bottom. And can I just stop and say this? Anytime you and I as a child of God fail God, anytime we allow sin to come into our life, if we are truly a child of God, we're going to hit rock bottom. Can I have an amen? In fact, I'll tell you this, if you don't hit rock bottom, you better check up. There might be the fact that you've never been saved to start with. You know, there is a verse in our Bible that says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. That's a scary verse because that verse indicates to us of a truth that if we sin as a child of God, God's going to chasten us. But there's a verse, a couple of verses later in Hebrews 12, 8, King James language, and it says this, But if you be without chastisement... In other words, if you say you're saved, but you can go out and sin, and you can get by with that, God said, then are you bastards? You're illegitimate and not sons. I didn't say that. God said that. Boy, it's kind of scary, you know, if you think you can go out and sin and get by, and God never deals with you. That's a good sign you've never been saved to start with. Can I have an amen? But David here is telling us in this text here, buddy, I'll tell you, I hit rock bottom after my sin. Yeah, I've told you this before, and I want to say it again. But when God saved us, God did not fix us where we could not sin. But I tell you what he did do. He sure did fix us where we couldn't enjoy our sin. And David, because of his sin and his failure, has literally hit the bottom. You know what David is really finding out in Psalms 32? Look up on the screens. David is finding out what so many have found out. The pleasures of sin will always lead you down the pathway to sorrow. Now that's more an alliteration. That is a great truth. The pleasures of sin will always lead you down the pathway of sorrow. So David really, in these opening verses, kind of just opens up his life and he says, okay, this is what my life was like during that year that I didn't say anything to God 
about my sin. Now, watching this text, I want you to see several things that he spoke about. First of all, he speaks of his distress. Look at verse number 3, and here's what he said. When I kept silence. When I kept silence. You know what he's saying? You know, during this time, I didn't say anything to God about my sin. I want to stop and say that the most important move that you and I ever will make in our Christian life is the move that we make right after we sin. When you sin, what we do, and when I sin, we need to pick up that, that sin and take it to God. Don't run from God. That's going to make matters worse. David is going to testify that. What, what makes matters better is as bad as it hurts, take that sin and go to God with it. And David didn't do that. And boy, he talks about there in verse number 3, when I kept silence, man, when I didn't say anything to God about my sin, here's what I felt like. Look at verse 3. My bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. You know what David is saying? I was miserable on the inside for that whole year. Oh, he may have had a smile on the outside. Maybe looking on at David's life, you could never tell that there was anything that was wrong. But David said, I'll tell you, nothing could be farther than the truth on the inside. David said, my bones were hurting. You know, the strongest part of us is our bones. And David said, man, my sin even affected my bones. By the way, sin has a tendency to do that, does it not? Sin can take, to take its toll on our bodies. I heard about this one old boy, and his, uh, he was writing for a newspaper. And his, uh, his editor gave him an assignment, said, go out and talk to old people and find out what the key is to living a long life. And so he thought, man, who am I going to talk to? So he walked out the door and pencil and pad in hand, thought, man, I, I'm just going to look up somebody on the street here that's old. And sure enough, across the way, he spied this, this uh, old fellow over there, stooped with age, and man, just, uh, you know, barely getting along. And he walks up to him and he said, sir, I, I would really, I'm doing an interview for a newspaper, writing an article. I'd like to find out what is the secret to living a long life. And the guy said, well, I'll tell you what. Number one, I smoke five packs of cigarettes every day. He said, number two, I drink five bottles of liquor. He said, I smoke all the pot that I can and I lay around with all the women that will lay around with me. Well, this guy was taken back by all that. He said, wow, you mean to tell me you've lived to be your age doing all that? He said, how old are you? And the guy said, 26. <laughs> Sin takes a toll on our bodies. And David said, I'll tell you what, that year that I didn't say anything to God about it, he said, my victory, my, my victory, my lost victory led to a lost vitality. David said, man, I was hurting. And can I tell you something? And hear me and hear me well. The most miserable man on this earth tonight is not a man that does not know God. But the most miserable person on this earth tonight and the most miserable person in this church tonight is the person that does know God but has unconfessed sin in their life. Miserable indeed is the man who keeps silent about his sin. A Christian out of fellowship with God is like a broken bone. He's like an abscess tooth. There's no relief. Where do you go to find relief? God won't leave you alone. And David said, I was smiling on the outside. I was dying on the inside, his distress. Look again now at verse number 4. He talks about his discipline. Uh, verse number 4, he said, for day and night... Thy hand was heavy upon me. You know what David said? Through this whole ordeal, everything that was going on for this, for this entire year when I pleaded the fifth with God and I wouldn't say anything about my sin to God, 
God, he said, David said, God was just bearing down on my life. He said there in verse number four, God's heavy hand was, was bearing down upon me. You know, a lot of people think this. You know, when we sin, a lot of people think this. Here we are in the hand of God, and when we sin, God does this and lets us go. But if you understand your Bible, God, look at me, if we're in the hand of God, when we sin, God doesn't do this. Let me show you what God does. God does this. Here's what God does. God begins to put the pressure on us. David said God's heavy hand was bearing down on my life. Let me tell you why a saved man with sin in his life can't be happy. Look at me. I'm going to tell you why he can't be happy. God won't let him be happy. God begins to squeeze and to bear down on his life. And David said, I was in great distress. Even my bones were hurting. And then he said, God's hand wouldn't get off of me. God was pressing down. God was applying the pressure. Good sign you're saved, friend, if you can't sin and get by. He talked about his discipline. He talked about his distress. But look again at verse 4. He talked about his dryness. Look at verse number four. He said this, my moisture is turned into the drought of summer. You know what David is saying? Man, my soul was dry on the inside. His sin and his rebellion against God had cut off the showers of blessings upon his soul. His formerly well-watered soul had now become a veritable desert. You know, we know one thing we know about David was, man, David was a, uh, he, he was a man that could, uh, uh, he could lay out his feelings before God. And boy, he blessed a lot of people from his writings. He wrote psalms that had moved millions and millions of people. But now the man who wrote those psalms, his soul, is, is dried up. By the way, that's what sin will do per, to a person. His soul will become as dry as a, the desert floor. Lose your shout. Can't feel anything anymore. You know, a lot of people want to blame the preacher. I go to church. I don't feel a thing when I go to church. We need a change of scenery in the pulpit, and sometimes that is the case. I agree with that. But I also tell you this. Sometimes the reason you don't feel nothing is because you got a bunch of old sin clogged up in your life. And the reason the joy juice of God can't flow through the pipes of your soul is because your sin, like a hair, has clogged up the pipes to your soul. And the problem is not the pulpit. The problem's with your sin. Can I have an amen? David said, I just want to tell you something. Inwardly, I was a wreck. Inwardly, I was being convicted. You ever felt conviction before? Boy, I have. That's not a good feeling. David said this. I'm just writing now. I'm just letting you all know. Inwardly, you keep silent, there'll be conviction. But notice the second thing that he said. Not only inwardly will there be conviction, but he says upwardly there should be confession. So when all these things begin to happen, your bones start hurting. They're roaring all the day long. Day and night, God bears down on your life. Your moisture, there's no joy anymore. Your soul has become a dry as the desert floor. What do you need to do? Here's what you need to do. Here, David comes to verse number 5 and said, okay, here's how to get it right. And I like what he does in verse 5. Notice what he said. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, mine iniquity have not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. And you know what David is doing here? He's just confessing to God his sin. 
Can I stop and say this? You'll never be able to deal with what has happened in your life until, first of all, you're willing to admit the fault is yours. You know, we live in a society today that, that we're told don't, don't admit fault anymore. I used to have an insurance, and I'm going to go ahead and I don't think, maybe you have it too, but I used to have in, insurance with State Farm Insurance. That was my automobile and my homeowners were all rolled into the same policy. And every year they would send us a card out to put in our car, you know, in the dash of your car, or the glove compartment of your car. And it was, you know, it was there in case you were pulled over and had to prove you had insurance or, uh, or whatever. Uh, you know, you had, you, that car was in there. Well, it also, on the front side of the card, it said State Farm Insurance, and then it said, uh, you know, liability, comprehension, whatever, all that stuff on the front of it. And then flip it over in the back, and it said this, what to do in the, in the, in the event of an accident. And the first thing they told you to do in the event of an accident was don't admit fault. I guess that got them into hot water if you stood there and said, it's my fault, I pulled out in front of the car, or it's my fault, I rammed into the back of them, or whatever. Whatever you do, they said, when you're in an accident, don't admit fault. Well, can I tell you something? That's carried over into the church today because we want to go out and sin in, in, in a great big way, and we don't want to say much to God about it. We don't want to admit that what's going on in our life is our own fault. In our society today, we want to run over the cat and then place the carcass on somebody else's doorstep. Can I have an amen? We're like one little boy. I heard about this little boy, and he got in a fight at school, and they uh, took him to the principal. And took, actually took both boys to the principal. And there they were all scratched up, and the principal looked at this one little boy, and he said, all right, what happened? And the boy said, well, it all started when he hit me back. <laughs> Come on. We don't like to admit fault. We want to blame everybody else for our failure. We live in a society today that wants to pass the buck. Am I right? I mean, man, it's not my fault I turned out to be this, this uh, drunk. I'll tell you, years ago, on my daddy's side, he had a foster aunt, and she said bad words to him, and he turned out to be a drunk. Now I'm a drunk, and it's all because way back yonder somewhere, and we blame everybody else but ourselves. You know, we have the Adam and Eve syndrome. Adam, what have you done? Lord, it's the woman's fault. Eve, what about it? Lord, it's the serpent's fault. We want to blame everybody else instead of ourselves. But you hear me and hear me well. The only way to get anywhere with God is to be honest about what you've done. David did that in this text. I mean, in verse number 5, David let it all hang down. You know what David did in verse 5? He pulled back the curtain. David unlocked the door of his heart. David took the mask off and he said, Okay, God, it's not Bathsheba's fault because she was out there in the backyard taking a bath. Lord, she should have had better sense to be out there in the backyard taking a bath in front of everybody to start with. No, no, he didn't say it's Bathsheba's fault. He didn't say it's that low-down Uriah's fault. I mean, he got what was coming to him. He's been disobeying orders all along. God, he got, no, sir, he didn't blame Uriah. You know what David said? Look in verse 5. Notice the personal pronouns. Look at verse 5. I acknowledge my sin and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions. Thou forgavest the iniquity of my... I, you know what David is doing? He's saying, God, I, man, I can't blame anybody. The only person I got to blame is myself. I made the choice. 
I knew better. I shouldn't have done that. I, would, I, I knew the Bible. I knew what the Word of God had to say. It's my fault that I'm in the mess that I am in. David didn't try to shove the dirty laundry under the bed. He didn't try to sweep the dirt under the rug. He just comes clean before God. And can I tell you something? If we're ever going to get anywhere with God, we're just going to have to say, Lord, it's my fault. And by the way, when we truly confess sin, we say the same thing about our sin that God... You know, in our day, we like to use those fancy words to try to make it not sound so bad. Lord, I have committed an indiscretion. What? Lord, uh, Lord, it's, 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 I've, just, I've just made a, a, a mistake. Lord, really, it's a boo-boo. But if you're going to get anywhere with God... You're going to have to take God's side about your sin. I'm going to have to take God's side about my sin and say the same thing about my sin that God says about it. And God don't say, oh, it's just an accident. God says it's an abomination. Can I have an amen? God just doesn't say, you know, it's just a little something. God said it's wicked. And when I truly confess sin, the, the word confess means to say the same thing. And when we confess our sins and we do it right, we say the same thing about it that God said about it. God, what I did was wicked. It was ungodly. It was against your word. Lord, it was not at all your will for my life. Lord, I want to tell you, I say what you say about it. I take your side about it. God, forgive me. Boy, I that's pretty good confessing right there. And David in this text is doing nothing more than just confessing his sin. So watch this now. Inwardly, there will be conviction. Outwardly, there should be confession. Or is that right? Upwardly, there should be. And then number, th number three, outwardly, there should be concession. Now, when you look at this psalm, boy, you think, man, this is a dark and dreadful psalm. But look at verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgressions is forgiven. Verse 2, blessed is the man in whom the Lord imputes. I mean, this, this psalm starts off happy. The word blessed is the, the, is the word happy in, in, the, in the plural sense. So we could a actually say, uh, oh, the blessedness. Oh, the many happinesses. I mean, he's starting off. I said, man, I just want to tell you all something. I am happy. I am happy. And then he ends the psalm like this. Look at verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Man, it sounds like to me that this psalm that seems so dark and so dreary and so dismal is such a happy psalm. David said, I just want to tell you something, man. I'm happy about this thing. What's he happy about? Because his iniquities have been forgiven. He's happy over the fact that he's confessed his sin as terrible as it was and God has also put away his sins. That word forgiveness simply means this, to carry it away. And here's the amazing thing about it. Sin to us is such a heavy burden and you cannot. Can I tell you something? If I had to carry, this is a speaker and if I had to carry this thing through life, I mean it's really not that heavy. But I mean, over a period of time, the more I carried that, that'd be a great heavy, that'd be, that'd be hard to live life carrying that thing. Let me use this chair right here. That's a better illustration. Let's see here. Let's use this chair here for just a minute. Now, it's, real, it's not that heavy, but I got to tell you something. I don't want to carry this thing 
every day of my life. I don't want to lay down with this thing. I don't want to try to take a shower with this thing. I, I don't want to go to the hospital with this thing. I don't want to even go to Chick-fil-A with this thing. I mean, it's, it's heavy. It's a burden to me. And that's what our sin is. It's like a burden to us. It's like a, a heavy weight upon us. What's that Hebrews 12, 1 verse? It said, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so... You can't enjoy life carrying this thing around. But when you come to Jesus, God takes it off of you. And he don't even just leave it there. He picks it up and he carries it away. Does completely. There you go, Miss Myra. You carried a while. He just carries it off. Does away with it. You know why we can be happy? Because thank God, because of the blood of Jesus, our sins are carried away. I want to close with this, but you know, when God forgives sin, what we need to understand is God forgets sin. You don't need to go back and keep reminding God what happened 10 years ago. You don't need to go back and keep reminding God. You remember five years ago, God? Don't keep reminding God. Thank God he has forgiven it. Thank God he has forgotten it. And thank God he's forsaken it. It's gone. It's, it, don't keep reminding God about it. It's over. It's done. And as I close, I want to make one statement. The Holy Spirit reproves. The devil reminds. The, 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 the only sin the Holy Spirit will ever get after you about is unconfessed sin. Can I have an amen? So that's the reason when you sin, pick that sin up and get to God with it before the devil does. Because if the devil gets to God with that sin before you do, the end result is going to be guilt and the worst trip you'll ever take in your life is a guilt trip. But when you and I get to God with our sin before the devil does, the Holy Spirit doesn't reprove us. All the devil can do is remind us. But he's reminding us of sin that's already under the blood of Jesus. It's like this man that just man was this bad, eat up with guilt. So finally he just breaks down. He's been to psychiatrists. He's been to, uh, he's taken medicine. Finally he just gives up and goes to the preacher. And he said, preacher, I'm having a problem. The preacher said, well, tell me about it. He said, well, man, I'm just eat up with guilt. He said, I want to tell you what happened. And he told him what happened five or six years ago. And, and the preacher said, well, I'll agree with you. That's bad. By the way, have you uh, asked God to forgive you? He said a thousand times. Oh, he said, right there's your problem. You ought to ask God to forgive you one time and thank God 999 times that he forgave you. And you and I, no wonder David can sing. Wouldn't you, hey, wouldn't that be a load off of you? I mean, you've taken another man's wife and then taken another man's life. That's a pretty heavy burden to carry. I mean, look at me. I'm not minimizing this, but he just didn't cuss somebody out like some of y'all did today. I mean, he just ain't stopped by the 7-Eleven, picked up a six-pack. I mean, he's taken another man's wife. He's taken another man's life. That's a pretty heavy burden to carry around. And David said, I just want to tell you, I'm so glad. I'm so glad I got it right. Because now I can be happy again. Now I can have joy again. Be glad in the Lord, verse 11, and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all of ye that are upright. The only way we can shout is keep our sins confessed.
Can I have an amen? That's some math skill from David, some instruction from David. Thank God for sin that is under the blood. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for the word of God.